going to be speaking off of the foundation of Acts chapter 26 when the Apostle Paul was standing before King Agrippa. I love it when an anointed of God stands before an anointed of man and the anointing of God outshines the anointing of man. An apostle forsaken by his own family stands before a king with earthly authority he says this at midday O king I saw on the way the way to Damascus he's describing his salvation experience he says I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the Sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me verse 14 and when we had all fallen to the ground uh, they were slain in the spirit right there now listen I, that's kind of a creepy phrase like slain. I don't know why we went with that as a description of what happens but I'm telling you listen you shouldn't be surprised whenever you stand in the presence of God and your physical body no longer has the capacity to remain standing physically it shouldn't surprise in fact it surprises me when people keep standing in fact most of the time I just realize that they keep standing they're not fully surrendering because something's happening the glory of God and so I just wanted to because that happened last Wednesday night and and then it happened again on Friday night as about 40 students gathered in a living room to worship God and some of them didn't know what was going on and I began to explain hey, listen when you get in the glory at that capacity your physical body cannot stand any longer when God reveals himself to you that way let me keep reading because I, I'm, I'm gonna get stuck if I'm not careful they fell to the ground I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language Saul Saul why are you persecuting me it is hard for you to kick against the goads New Living Translation just says this it is hard for you to go against the will of God I speak that over everybody in this room right now it is hard for you to go against the will of God it's gonna be harder for you to go against the will of God than it would be if you just get in it it's gonna be hard anyway you may as well just get in it let me speak it over some people who are praying for somebody else it is harder to reject your prayers than it is to receive your prayers I speak today that the prayers of the spiritual parents the biological parents in this room and watching online you keep praying because it is harder for that foreign and or strayed or drifting son or daughter to reject what you are requesting than it is for them to receive what you are requesting and, he, and I said to the Lord, who are you? <laughs> the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Verse 16, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Verse 17, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Verse 18, to open their eyes I'd get stuck right here if I'm not careful to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me this is Jesus speaking go back and read that again this afternoon Acts 26 verse 18 night verse 19 and this is where I'm hanging my hat 19 and 20 today therefore 
O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Verse 20, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles. Okay, what did he declare? This is where, this is our foundation today. That they should repent as changing your mind about what you're currently doing, about what you perceive to be okay. Repent, turn to God and perform deeds that are in keeping with repentance. Repent, turn to God, and perform deeds that are in keeping with repentance. Father, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking today. Lord, give us a heart to receive what you want to tell us, what you want to plant in us. God, soften any hearts of stone today. God, break up fallow ground that the seed of your word could be planted in our hearts. And, and Lord, let us have a mind to understand and comprehend. God, I pray that your anointing would be upon the communication of this word. And Holy Spirit, that you would seal it in the name of Jesus, that it would not return unto you void, but it would transform us from the end inside out in Jesus name everybody said amen amen come on give God praise before you're seated turn around and say hey to about three people that nobody spoke to on the way in today come on isn't that good you see somebody sitting by themselves go apologize to them apologize to them for not looking for them and making sure that they knew that they were welcome and you were glad that they were here it's just culture DNA Got to make sure we get out of our comfort zone. Hey, number one, write this down with me today as we continue in our series, RE. I'll explain that in just a second. Number one, taking notes, God responded to our rebellion. God responded to our rebellion. And in about, about four minutes, you're going to understand how powerful that is. You're going to be clapping and shouting with me as it just simmers for a second. God responded to our rebellion. Listen, if you're like me and you like to listen more than you do like to take notes in that moment, remember our notes are always available for you in our app that we have. It's very simple to find. Those notes are right there available for you. They're also on the back of your bulletin and or at unischurch.com. So take advantage of that. They're already printed out. You don't even have to keep up. You can just read along and fill in the gaps. God responded to our rebellion. In this series, we just simply named R-E, um, which is a, is a prefix that goes on the front of a word. Okay, and you can just leave that up there for a second. R-E, the prefix that goes on the front of a word, it means to do again um, or to go back and or backwards. In other words, to, to recall or to rebuild or I like to repent. Come on, this is not just something that we do one time. This is something that we do all the time. That we don't just receive and then, 
and then just move on as if we have already accomplished what God wanted us to accomplish. We don't just learn something and then forget about it. No, no, no. We rehearse it. We repeat it. We recall it. We remember it. Okay. So in this series, we're talking about going back and rebuilding or recalling while at the same time uh, bringing something to, to refreshment like that we've already learned and, and even if we have to, just rebuilding it all together, renewing it all together, whatever God says. God responded. He didn't just speak, okay? He respoke in place of our rebellion. I submit to you this morning that in the very beginning, God had a plan because he knew that you, rotten little Cajuns, were going to rebel, not as much as rednecks do, but in a sense, you still, there's just rebellion inside of you. And so from the very beginning, God came up with a plan. Now, let me break this down for a second, because some people, uh, they're like me, and they're the antagonist of everything. And so they would like to say things like, well, why in the beginning did God even give us a choice? I mean, if he loved us so much, why did he give us a choice? Like, why did he even put that tree in the garden? Okay, so first of all, if I force somebody to love me, it's not love. Right? So I, I didn't hit Megan with a club and drag her out of a cave, force the ring on her, and make her stay stuck with me for the last 13, well, almost 15 years now that we've known or been together. That's not how our relationship worked. She chose me. I chose her. God chose you. You chose him. That's what love is. Love is not some robotic, symbolic act that you are forced into because you're afraid of failure and or you just don't want to disappoint or you're stuck in it and it's a woe is me, have to do list. That's not what love is. That's not, that's not relationship. God gave us a choice because he wanted us to choose him. The other reason that God gave us a choice, I believe, is because if he didn't give us a choice, he would have been unjust. Because the Bible says that the Lord cast Satan and a third of heaven out of the kingdom of God. And so if God just created us in the place of Lucifer and didn't give us the same choice that he gave him, then he would be unjust. Now, the Bible also says this. Well, why was he so much harder on Lucifer than us? The Bible says that it was by the abundance of his trading. It was by the abundance of his prideful reception of what belonged to God. The abundance of receiving God's glory for himself, kind of like we like to do. It was the abundance that God finally came into a place where he said, you know what, I can't, that, that's it, that's all I got. You abused my grace. And that's all you get. I got to pause for about five seconds here. That's the only impardonable sin. That is what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It's when you harden your heart. It's the only thing that, can, that, that, you, can't be, that you can't receive salvation from. Is when you harden your heart so much and you have abused God's grace to the point where there's no more left for you. Now, I don't believe that that happens until you pass from this life into the next, but we do see biblical examples of where somebody hardens their heart, so God uses them as an example. 
the only unpardonable sin. So hear me, if you're concerned about that, you haven't hardened your heart all the way. So you don't need to be concerned about it. It's the abundance of trading. There's no place that you can go that God's, God's grace can't reach you. But one day, every knee will bow and it will be too late. One day, the trumpet of the Lord will sound and one day you will take your last breath and, and that's the end of grace. So I say receive now while you can instead of waiting until you can't. I submit to you that from the very beginning, God gave us a choice because he loves us and God gave us a choice because he's just. And the Bible says that in the choice, Adam stood silently while bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh disobeyed God. And together they became fallen. But in their fallen state, come on, this is so good, because a lot of people think that God removed them from the garden as a punishment, and he didn't remove them from the garden as a punishment. See, their removal from the garden was an act of God's grace, because if he would have left them in the garden and they would have eaten from the tree of life, then they would have stayed in their fallen state for all eternity. But God removed the tree of life from that place and them from that place so that he could institute his plan. He says in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan. Lucifer, you may strike at the heel of that seed, but that seed is going to crush your head. Well, if you know anything about biology, the seed doesn't normally come from the woman, but God had a plan. I'm going to be careful because I see little ears in the room. But God had a plan. And so he, the Holy Spirit, put the seed in the woman and from the seed of the woman, the Christ child was born. Jesus Christ lived 33 years. He was tempted in every way, but without sin. He made himself obedient unto death, even death on a Roman, shameful Roman cross. Ultimately, he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And I just wonder, is there anybody thankful that that tree of life is going to show back up at the end? and we will eat of that tree in our redeemed state instead of our fallen state because God had a plan from the very beginning to restore the relationship with his creation, and his creation is you. It's his response. His response to our rebellion was relationship. That was his response. Oh, they done messed it up. Hang on, I got it. That's how he responded. I don't know how you respond to a child's rebellion. That's not how I respond. But God, in his grace and mercy, he responded to our rebellion with a plan to redeem us. And Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead. That's why, well, can a drunk inherit the kingdom of God? Can an, can an, can an uh, individual, hang on, don't answer wrong. This is a rhetorical question because you might answer wrong and that'd be, um, can, a, can a drunk inherit the kingdom? Can, can, can someone who is actively engaged in an inappropriate relationship outside of marriage or with the same sex inherit the kingdom of God? Well, I would ask this, can a dead man inherit the kingdom of God? And the answer is no. No. 
Because you cannot know God in death. Because God is life. And Paul says this. You are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. In other words, you're following the course of your desires over God's desires. You're following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That's Lucifer. And you cannot follow Lucifer and Jesus at the same time because a house cannot be divided and stand. The spirit that is now at work in the sons, the children of disobedience. Well, it's going to get a little heavy. That's okay. We're going to end on a high note. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So can you live in the passions of your flesh and inherit the kingdom of God? I don't believe you can. For many examples, specifically this entire passage of Scripture. Verse 3, among who we all once lived, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. The Bible says that we are body, soul, and spirit. And if you allow your body to control your soul and your spirit, then you're in the wrong priority. And we're by nature, this is, I mean, this sounds horrible, children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, verse 4, this is my favorite phrase in all of the Bible. And, and I know in the next service, I've got a row of senior saints that are going to be sitting on the, on the back of filling up about five or six chairs. And as soon as they see this verse, they're going to start saying it before I can even get to it. I might just stop and do like this to them and just let them say it to the whole church. Of all those things that Paul just said, verse 4, God's response, but God, who has, who, has, who has a response to our rebellion, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were walking in rebellion, he had mercy, he had a plan, he had great love, and he, because of his grace, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, you have been saved. Verse 6, because you are trying to quote verse 8, and it don't go right there. This is verse 6. <laughs> and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. Raised us up. Here's what, here's, here was God's response to our rebellion. You ready? Hang on, watch. Everybody tune in. If you're looking around, look at me. Here was God's response to our rebellion. You ready? And now instead of being there, dead in our trespasses, sons and daughters of disobedience and wrath, here we are, lifted up, seated in heavenly places, just as Jesus, his only begotten son. God responded. Man, I didn't even know it was going to go this well. God responded to our 
rebellion. I almost woke one of my children up at 5.30 this morning, got them ready and brought them to prayer just so I could do this. I'm going to do it in the next services maybe. This is how he responded. Number two, we must receive his response. See, we can't continue in rebellion and call it reception. We can't just agree that God exists and Jesus Christ gave his life on Calvary and call that salvation. It's not salvation to agree with Christ. It's salvation to abide in Christ. Those are very different because I know a lot of people who agree in Christ. But I don't see as many people abide in Christ. We must receive his response. I, I pray this often over my children, and, and I just develop like these common phrases that I can consistently pray. In order for me to be consistent, I got, I got to come up with a plan because I am not a person of consistency. I'm not a person that's known for staying or standing in one place for long periods of time. And our, our staff knows that in meeting with me. We had a meeting with our builders and architects and, and audio engineers and everything for the building to come on Thursday. And, and I got up and walked around more than anybody in the room. I'm like, I cannot sit here in a meeting this long unless I'm leading it. If I'm leading it, I can stay. But <laughs> if, if somebody, I just, it's hard for me. So I need to pray. I need to come up with things to be able to say consistently without making them mundane. Without making them some kind of religiously repetitive thing that just becomes, bleh, I don't even have words. But I pray over my children, and you can steal this. You can write this down. It's not in your notes. Lord, reveal yourself to Gabriel, Emery, Adeline. God, reveal yourself to us and help us to receive your salvation, to be born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I say it in front of them, with the physical evidence of a personal prayer language and the spiritual evidence of fruit and living for God. I pray, God, reveal yourself to us and help us to receive your salvation. That's what I pray. And so, a few years back, had an evangelist come on Sunday morning, and I asked him politely, because we were in multiple services, I said, hey, listen, I know what you do, I know your ministry, and, and I love it. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm allow, like allowing you to come back, because I wasn't going to, but we talked, and then, so I, I want you to do what God leads you to do. I just don't want you to do it Sunday morning. Because Sunday morning, I'm leading what God wants me to do, and I need you to do it like this way. And I need you to finish at this time, and then we're going to offer an opportunity for people to come back Sunday night. It's going to be powerful, and, and, and we can do whatever God wants you to do, but on Sunday morning, we're going to do what God wants me to do, okay? Because you're going to fly home, and I'm going to wonder why people didn't come back. So Sunday morning, this. Sunday night, open, okay? So Sunday morning, great job. Um, he did stand on one of our chairs and almost flipped. That was funny. But, but he was an, he's an evangelist, graduated from Brownsville School of Revival, okay? And, and he came here, and he preached on Sunday morning, and he got us out almost on time like I sometimes don't do. And then 
brought us back Sunday night. And Sunday night, we were here for a minute. Um, we don't always do this to you on Sunday night, but honestly, if people are here and engaged, like I like to give them an opportunity to just, to just press in and linger. I mean, when's the last time you lingered in the presence of God? Isn't it sad that, that people would rather watch a movie than linger in the presence of God? Like they will fight to stay in a movie theater as long as they can if they need to use the restroom. But man, you hold them past 40 minutes in a worship center. Well, man, I got this guy needs to shut up. I tell you, what are we still praying about? Why are they falling on the floor? Anyways, so we're there. And, and I love having our, our five-year-olds and up in Sunday night or Wednesday night services when we can, Monday night, momentum, whatever, because I like for them to see us worship. And you know what? I think every kid ultimately needs to learn how to just sit in service and receive. Like, I love children's church because I also believe that children need to learn at their level. Like, we don't put six-year-olds in college classrooms and say, sit here for three hours and learn all this stuff. That's dumb. It's not conducive for them to be able to receive what's being communicated. But on occasion, like they need to sit out in front of everybody and learn what it feels like to have the skin on their inner thigh twisted because they're not sitting still. Like everybody, everybody needs to have that little ear pinch, pull, whatever it takes for them to stay engaged. It's learning how to stay engaged in that atmosphere. Okay, that Sunday night... And Angelus Joe Odin is praying for people, and some people are standing, and some people are not, and we've already talked about some of that, and my children are right here, and, and Adeline at the time, um, I think she was probably seven or eight at the most, and I'm standing over here, Megan's over here, and Adeline goes, and so I see her, and listen, my children have, if you're ever talking to me and my children walk up, sorry, you're not more important to them than them, Sorry. I'm going to pay attention. Like, they have access to me all the time, and you only have access to me when they don't. And so if they come running up to me, and they want to tell me something or something's going on, it's most likely that you're going to get interrupted because I love you, but not more than them. And, and we've been going to be in this too long for them to think that anybody in God's family is more important than them who are in my immediate family. That's just a quick explanation if that ever happens to you. But so Adeline, Daddy, Daddy, and I was like, what, baby? I didn't know what was wrong. Where's mommy? Girl, you did not just call me over here to ask me where your mama is. That happens all the time. Emery Grace needed a bag open the other day. I'm sitting on the couch. She walked past me, went to Megan, who is in the bathroom. Mama, can you open this? Megan says, where is your daddy? She comes back in here, daddy, mama told me to bring you this. I was like, didn't you just walk past me? And go, why didn't you just ask? Anyway, so she asked, where's mommy? And so I said, baby, she's over there. Why? Mommy said this would only be like an hour now in her defense. We started at like 6, and it was probably 8 o'clock, 8.15, maybe a little later. And I was like, sweetheart, if you want to talk to your mama, walk over there and talk to her. So she walks over there, and before she even gets to Megan, Joe Oden turns around and looks at her, and she looks up at him, and it was just this funny little moment. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> she looks down, or he looks down at her, and she's just kind of standing like this, like, you going to move so I can get to my mama? And he goes, bless her, Lord. Boom, she fell on the ground. Like, not backwards, just poof. Now, listen, Emery and Gabriel, they might give you a courtesy fall. 
Adeline, you're not getting a courtesy fall. She ain't going down just to show off for you. It's not happening. So she hits the floor. She didn't even fall backwards. She just collapses like fetal position. And so, and, and then he just looks and walks off. And I was like, dude, that's funny. <laughs> Megan comes walking over. And so I've been down and, and Megan and I are both kind of laughing. And, uh, and I've been down and, and Adeline's hair's like, hey, I mean, she looks like cousin it. She's got more hair than she has body at that time. And her hair's hanging down. And, and, I, and we, bit, we lean down and say, Adeline, are, are you okay? And she goes, And Megan goes, what happened, baby? Kind of smiling, you know, smirking, because we're both, we're entertained. And, and Adeline says, some of you have heard this story. Adeline says, I ain't got no bones. <laughs> <laughs> and I started crying. Because I realized that my seven-year-old just experienced, experienced something that I had been praying to experience for 20 years. And so we went home that night, and I asked her, baby, why do you think that happened? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I think I do. And obviously, she was kind of freaked out, so she wanted me to explain it to her. And I said, you know how I pray every night? God, reveal yourself to Adeline. Reveal yourself to Emery. Reveal yourself to Gabriel. And then help us to receive your salvation be born again and baptized in your Holy Spirit. I said, Adeline, God just revealed himself to you. Now it's your turn. See, God revealed himself to us. He responded to our rebellion, but it's, it's now our turn. It's our turn to receive his response. The response of God was offered on a cross called Calvary. The Bible says that he loved us so much that even while we were still sinning, Christ Jesus died for us. And he declared on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I don't think that that just meant the Jews and the Romans that were surrounding the cross at that time. But I think it meant every person that has ever fallen in any way that put those nails in his hands and hung him up on that tree. And instead of calling for a legion of angels to take him down, there he stood so that forgiveness could be stated. It was offered once and for all sin. So from the drunkard to the rebel to the prostitute, come on, to the woman caught in the act of adultery, to the arrogant Pharisee, to the Roman centurion that stabbed him in the side to make sure that he was dead. It was offered, but it has to be accepted. He didn't just die once and for all, sins, past, present, and future, and then they're all just covered, right? No, no, no. We have a responsibility to receive his response because not receiving is rejecting. There's no in-between. You're either for me or against me. He who loses his life shall find it. He who dies shall live. It doesn't make any sense unless you understand the response of the relationship that God desires to have with us. We must receive his response. In fact, and I believe, and I'm going to be careful here because don't go out of here saying something I didn't say. 
I believe that we need to receive his gift of salvation, and I believe that we need to receive his promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't believe that you have to speak in tongues to be saved. Let me say that clearly. You don't have to speak in tongues to be saved. It doesn't make me better than you that I have a personal prayer language and I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the physical evidence of praying in a personal prayer language and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit and how all those things work together. doesn't make me better than you, but it makes me a lot better than me. I've had people say, well, you think Dr. David Jeremiah hadn't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? I said, no, I don't think he has. Well, what do you think's doing all that ministry that he has? I was like, I just can't imagine what his ministry would be like if he did receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There ain't no telling what God would use him to do. Amen. Well, what about all the people that have fallen? Hang on, I'm not going to use one bad apple and burn an orchard. I just That's not how I operate. I don't understand it all, but if I read it in the Word of God, it's for me. If you don't like that page, tear it out, set it on fire, and explain it to Jesus. But if he said it, come on. If he said it, I believe it. It will be for me, and it will be prayed over my babies until it is also for them. We must receive his response. Hebrews 10, 26, not in your notes. You'll have to look it up later. It says this. If you go on sinning deliberately, now I'm not talking about like a stumble. I'm not talking about pursuing Jesus and, and just still being human, which we all are. But if you go on willfully, deliberately sinning after having received the knowledge of truth, then the Bible says there no longer remains a sacrifice left for you. Like, what else is God going to do? That's why James wrote, it will be worse for those who knew and did not. Number three, our response is our responsibility. Not to just be received one time, but to be received all the time. Salvation, being born again, that's just the beginning. I'm going to preach a little passionately. Please don't confuse my passion with anger. I'm not angry at anybody except for myself and the way that I lived for 21 years and what it costs me and the scars that I carry to this day because of the consequences of those decisions. Now, I might have had scars from other things, and I might have gone through some things anyway, but there's one thing to go through something with Jesus and know that he's with you and you didn't do anything and he's gonna do everything and it's another thing to go through things on your own and know that you are paying for choices that you made and God is waiting for you to turn around and come back. Our response is our responsibility. It is bewildering to me and again, I, I preach it this way because I lived it this way for so long. And it's so frustrating for me to look back as I look around and, and it's just bewildering to me that we could take what God has done for us and we could extend grace into an excuse to continue to be disobedient. I said it is bewildering to me that we could look at what God has done for us and we could extend grace into an excuse to continue in disobedience because that is not what Paul believed. 
And it is not what the author of Hebrews believed. It is not what the disciples believed. That we could deliberately, willfully continue in sin, living a lukewarm life, expecting God to let us get away with it. Remember what John the Revelator wrote about the lukewarm life. I would rather you be hot or cold. It doesn't mean that I would rather you be saved or just live like a sinner. That's stupid. God doesn't want anybody to live like a sinner. He is not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. Now, what he's saying is, I would rather you have a purpose, either quench thirst or warm something up, because lukewarm water makes me want to vomit. And if you are a lukewarm, living, so-called believer, then there's nothing I can use you for because your loose lifestyle is leading other people astray may I submit to you today that what is wrong with this nation is not the ungodliness of unbelievers but the lukewarm living of so-called believers what's wrong with the culture is the complacency of the church and you can mark that down and see if I'm wrong when we all stand before the king but the culture is just a current byproduct of the previous complacency in the house of God, by the people of God. Why would they want what we have when we say one thing and do another? Oh, I'm preaching it now. Dare I say that our responsibility does not end when we receive salvation. Well, I received salvation, so I'm set up for the kingdom. No, 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 no. Your responsibility does not end. We all agreed, all of us agreed, that salvation must be received. Now, there's some really goofy doctrine on how that should be received and some of the discrepancy on what should be done when it is received or how many acts of service you have to do or how many times you need to be baptized or whether you need to be water baptized or baptized in the name of Jesus only. And we've just made this thing so stupid that people can't even see through us to get to our Savior. Our responsibility was to receive his salvation. Why? Because it was offered, but it must be accepted. And then once it is accepted, it must be abided in. So our responsibility doesn't stop when we receive salvation. No, no, no. We now have a responsibility to remain in Christ. Not that we would just get saved. And I hate that phrase. When did you get saved? I didn't. I am. I didn't get saved. I'm being saved. Well, is it salvation at a moment or sanctification through a process? Yes. You can't put God in your box of illegitimate understanding. Let God do what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it, with whom he wants to do it. He may do one thing with you and another thing with me and another thing with somebody else. As long as they love Jesus, I don't care where they love Jesus or what doctrine they believe to love Jesus. Stop arguing with saved people and go reach the lost. Because we've got to receive and we've got a responsibility. What is my response to God's rebellion? It's not just just get saved and then live however I want to. 
get saved and then go right up to being drunk and not call it being drunk because I didn't breathe .08. Get saved and then have intercourse before and outside of marriage and think that God's okay with it and wonder why you end up divorced just like 70% of the rest of the culture that doesn't even believe. What's wrong with the culture? The church! Get saved, stare and daydream and watch videos and scroll and take pictures and follow people on social media that aren't your spouse, comparing your reality to the devil's fantasy and wondering why you're so unfulfilled. Just get saved. Get mad at the church every time anybody mentions finances, but take out loan after loan after loan to pay for toys that tear up and, and require more mammon. What's wrong with the culture? Us. We're what's wrong with the culture. Because somebody taught us at some point that we had a responsibility to receive salvation and that's all we were responsible for. No, no, no. We have a responsibility to remain in Christ. Not to just walk away, do whatever we want and go, oh, well, God understands. No, 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 you listen to me as I close. This is what God understands. God understands that he put his only begotten son on a cross called Calvary. And to those who believe, the cross is the power of God. He slayed him and he turned his head away from him. He put him in a tomb for three days. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ entered into the core of the earth. He paid for every sin that I ever committed up to this point. And I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and keep committing sin when I know that I have a Savior that didn't stay in the grave. The Bible says that three days later Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and if Jesus can live a resurrected life, then Chris can live a resurrected life. I can be raised up and seated with Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10 29 not in your notes. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God. Thank you for your grace. But it's time to go party. Thank you for grace. Great is thy faithfulness. Over and over and over again. Those who have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were just common. We have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. The blood of Jesus, the power of God, by the blood of the Lamb and our response to his salvation. We have overcome. Yeah, yeah, I know. The wages of sin was death. But the gift, the gift of God, eternal life. And then Paul goes on to write, so whoever confesses with their mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believes, not just agrees with, but believes, like positions themselves inside of the Savior. Whoever believes shall be saved. And then he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Let's just simplify it. All you got to do is call. 
So if you still have a voice to call, then you are not too far from grace because you're still here. But once you call, come on, you got to come. And then once you come, you got to commit. And once you commit, you got to stay committed. And once you stay committed, hear me, you've got to continue. Because nobody in their right mind believes that you can live like hell and inherit heaven. Even the people who are trying to convince themselves that the lifestyle they are currently living is okay. Because Paul wrote, sorry, Luke wrote, as Paul declared before King Agrippa, that this is what I have preached. And I will go to my grave and my grandchildren will hear me say, repent. Turn to God and get to work doing and performing deeds that represent the repented, the saved, and the restored lifestyle. Respond. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, I thank you that because we already prayed it, your word can't return unto you void. So Lord, right now for every person in this room and every person watching online, would you help us to respond? Lord, reveal yourself to us as you so faithfully have, do again and again and again and again. And God, right now, help us to evaluate. Help us to evaluate whether we are truly receiving everything or maybe we just received and, then, and now we think we've arrived. Are we receiving currently everything that you have for us? Are we remaining in you? Are we turning to you constantly and producing works that represent repentance? Lord, right now, if there's any area in our life that doesn't represent the repentance that we supposedly have received, Lord, let us, let us lay that at your feet right now. God, we lay it at your feet. And we thank you that the blood of Jesus is covering that area of our lives right now. If you're in this room right now, or whether you're watching online, live or later, and you need to receive salvation because you have not been following Jesus, if you need to commit or recommit your life to the Lord, I don't care which one it is, I just want you to receive. If that's you, and you know it's you, you have a responsibility right now to what? To surrender. Would you open your hands in your lap? Maybe you want to lift your hands high, unashamed. And church, I want to ask you and invite you to pray this out loud. But if that's you and you've got your hands open and you are postured to receive right now, you're letting go of what you've been hanging on to and you're ready now. You're ready to receive what God has for you. I want you to pray with me and start your journey with Jesus. Come on, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, forgive me where I've fallen short and called it okay. I believe you died on the cross 
You shed your blood. You paid for my sin. But you were raised from the dead so I could be born again, made new, and live a resurrected life. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. I repent. I turn to you. Now help me to represent you in every area of my life from this day forward. I surrender all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, give God praise all over this place this morning.